You know the polyvagal theory and how it generally relates to mental health and trauma. But have you ever considered what the theory implicates for behavior and choice? If our thoughts and our behaviors are dependent on our state, then what does this mean in our ability to choose? What does this mean in our ability to make change or help someone else make a change? My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a therapist, a coach, and the creator of the Polyvagal Trauma Relief System. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken, where I teach you how to live with more calm, confidence, and connection without the psychobabble. We're going to nerd out polyvagal style one more time. I think maybe more, but at least one more time. This might be the deepest nerdery yet, and I'm glad that you're here for it. If you don't know the polyvagal theory, this is definitely not the episode for you. Head on over to episode 101 of this podcast and start from there. Dr. Stephen Portis wrote a paper called The Vagal Paradox that released in 2023. And within this paper, he describes the polyvagal theory as an algorithm. What is an algorithm? From our friends at Merriam-Webster, they define it as a step-by-step procedure for solving a problem or accomplishing some end. That's more of a broader definition, though, also from our friends at our good friends at Merriam-Webster, is a procedure for solving a mathematical problem in a finite number of steps that frequently involves repetition of an operation. Both definitions of an algorithm involve a problem. There's also reference to a procedure in both definitions being a way to solve a problem that reoccurs or can reoccur. And there's an end result in both of those definitions. This leaves us with a general three-step sort of model for algorithms and what they do. And that three-step model is there's a problem, a procedure, and a result. Or there's an input, the algorithm, and an output. Or there's the context, a process, and an output. We're all kind of saying the same thing, but just different ways to word it. So there's, there's some sort of contextual input or a problem. Then there's a process or problem-solving and then there's a result. The word algorithms typically used when we're discussing computer programming, data, and math. You've probably heard it in reference to social media algorithms, where a platform like YouTube adjusts their recommendations based on what they want to see in the results. So YouTube has a desired outcome, they change the equation of their search engine to get the outcome. But an algorithm could also be making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. The input is the ingredients. The procedure is the steps required or are the steps required for making the sandwich like, you know, piece of bread, peanut butter, jelly, another piece of bread. You use a, a knife to put it on the bread and put it together like there's a procedure. And the output is the sandwich, which, by the way, any sandwich or anything really in life should never involve peanut butter because it's disgusting. It tastes gross. It smells gross and texturally it's ugh, it's awful as well. Now I don't take many hard firm lines on things here in the podcast. It's not many hot takes for me, but that one I'm pretty darn serious about. But Dr. Porges is not applying the idea of an algorithm to math or to social media or to making a sandwich. He's discussing it more in terms of behavior. And in the paper, he illustrates that the traditional behavioral model is cause and effect, or trigger and response. One example is a traffic light changing from 
green to yellow or to red, and that results in some sort of response. So when it goes to yellow, the driver slows down the vehicle. At red, the vehicle, the driver stops the vehicle entirely. And with green, the driver would go. There's a stimulus and a response. Another example is a dog hearing a can opener and expecting food. The stimulus or trigger would be the sound of a can opener. The behavioral response would be that the dog runs to the kitchen and expects food. One more example would be employee performance and a monthly bonus. The stimulus or trigger would be the introduction of a performance-based monthly bonus, like an incentive. The behavioral response would be that the employee or employees increase their work output or improve the quality of their work to meet the criteria for the bonus. Stimulus, response. That's the traditional way of looking at behavior, but in this paper, when looking at the polyvagal theory as an algorithm, Dr. Porges suggests that the there's a middle piece that's missing here, which is the step-by-step process for getting the output. Porges suggests that the polyvagal theory acts as an algorithm between the stimuli and the behavioral response. So the driver does not simply brake when the traffic light turns red. The polyvagal theory provides the algorithm in between the traffic light and the driver braking. So that would be the traffic light changes to red, and then the polyvagal theory acts as an algorithm, and I'll get more detailed, and that results in the behavior of braking or some other behavior. So between the red light and the behavior, there is an autonomic process that calculates the context and spits out the behavior of the driver. Algorithms have to have a goal to them, a reason or an objective that frames the processing of the inputs. Like I said before, social media companies, they may want to increase clicks on certain types of content and reduce others. So they change their algorithm to meet that goal. For example, if YouTube wanted to enhance polyvagal theory information, they could do so by changing the parameters of their algorithm. My content then would be input. Then it would go through the YouTube algorithm or formula and result in maybe getting more clicks. But the algorithm isn't just acting by itself. There is a a goal that it is spitting out or, or leaning toward. If we return to the algorithm of making a sandwich, the goal is to make a sandwich. The steps or the algorithm meet that goal or result in a sandwich. So the end result of an algorithm may not be specifically known, but it may generally be known. Like we don't know the way that the sandwich will look or the way it's going to taste, but we can still use the algorithm of making a sandwich to get the general end result of a sandwich. So if the polyvagal theory was an algorithm, what would the goal be? Well, the polyvagal theory is really a compilation of many ideas, neuroception, autonomic primary and mixed states, co-regulation, how our senses are used in neuroception, all kinds of things that go into the theory. But what do all these pieces, when put together, what do they strive for? What's the goal of these pieces within us as organisms? And that would be survival and homeostasis or optimal functioning. That's the goal. That's the goal of the polyvagal theory in working as an algorithm is to increase the chances of survival. And if surviving, then to increase the 
use of bodily resources for homeostasis or optimal functioning. Survival and optimal functioning are always the goal at all times. Even when we're making a sandwich or when a traffic light turns red. So the algorithm of the polyvagal theory, even when there is a traffic light that turns red, or even when we have to make a sandwich, the algorithm of survival and optimal functioning is still active. So the pieces of the polyvagal theory act as the algorithm leading to a behavior. The states that are your polyvagal state, safety, flight, bite, shutdown, or the mixed states as well, the state is an intervening variable. So when the traffic light turns red and the driver has a response, the state of the driver is the algorithm. The state of the driver is a variable that shouldn't be ignored. But you know, like I know, that the state of the body changes and can actually even get stuck. Like in a defensive state, we can get stuck there in a traumatized state. So the inputs, the context of the situation, that doesn't change, but the algorithm kind of does, at least the way I'm understanding it. And that can lead to different behaviors, even with the same context. For example, the red light is still the red light, but the state can be with more or less safety leading to different results, like coming to a stop and following the rule or speeding up and ignoring it. If you're in a safety state, you're probably more likely to follow the rules and come to a gentle, complete stop at a red light. If you're in a dysregulated flight fight state, you might be less likely to, and you might be more likely to actually speed up and ignore the, the red light or at least ignore the, the yellow light. But here in my lovely city of Stockton, California, there is a serious problem of people running red lights. If you live here, please knock it off. It's, it's really bad. Another hot take for you. That's the general idea of the algorithm. It's an intervening variable. The polyvagal theory and what state someone is in is an intervening variable. It's not something that we can ignore and just look at stimulus and response. There's something happening that's processing the stimulus and outputting the response. So let's think about this algorithm in other contexts, like students in your classroom if you're a teacher, or your communication with your loved ones, or if you're a therapist and you have clients. What's the potential of their behavior based on their algorithms? Like I said before, the context may not change. The red light is still the red light. So I'm going to ask you, is there something about the inputs that we can change? Can we do things to change the context to shift someone's state to get a different result? Because if we shift the state, the result is going to be different as well. Or if we help to shift the state. And this is exactly why in my polyvagal trauma relief system, I highly emphasize the environment and manipulating one's environment. This is the starting point, I think. If you don't have a safe environment, if you don't have a safe context or in our algorithmic uh, world right now, if we don't have safe inputs, safe context, then the results or the behaviors, the thoughts, the emotions, all of those are going to be with less safety because the inputs have less safety or partially that's why. So in these different contexts of our lives or even for yourself in your own self-regulation, whether you're in the polyvagal trauma relief system or not, can you set passive safety cues? Things that just provide you with safe context without having to actively do anything about it 
can you set yourself up with this constant stream of passive safety neuroceptions? And then can you build on that through more active means? So for yourself or in your professional capacity, or maybe you know, as a teacher or in your home environment with your family, can you create more safety in your environment? Can you create more safety in the structure, the rules, and the norms? Can you create more safety in the predictability of the environment? All of these things are going to act as inputs that will help shift someone's state to more safety and potentially lead to more safety as an output. And by the way, you're an input. You are part of the context of other people. So what are you giving off as far as being an input into their algorithm? Are you giving safety that will be processed by their algorithm and then have a different outcome or a more positive outcome for everybody involved? We, of course, don't control other people's behaviors, but we absolutely influence them. And I think one of the ways that we influence them is by changing what cues that we're giving them, which is then processed by their algorithm. Basically then, do the best you can to be a safe input for their algorithm. I also kind of wonder with this, is there a predictive nature or predictive potential to the polyvagal theory as an algorithm? Just on a conceptual level, we can make inferences about someone's behavior based on what we know about their algorithm or what we know about their current states and their stuck state as well. So I know that overstimulating someone in shutdown is probably not going to help and might even lead to further shutdown. I would need to calm myself down and align with them in an environment that's conducive to shutdown. So I know enough about that person's algorithm to make some changes because I can likely predict that some pieces or some inputs of the environment are going to have a less beneficial result for, for them in my professional capacity, you know, working as a therapist. I know that someone who's stuck in freeze likely will not do well with telling their trauma narrative again and again. I know that for that person, it likely may result in more significant shutdown and numbing and dissociation. In other words, I know enough about their algorithm to change the inputs that I'm giving them. So I know that part of shifting their state and helping them meet their therapeutic goals is going to involve building the strength of their safety state. And then we might be able to go into their trauma narrative if they want to. So what if we knew their state or their algorithm? What if we also knew their vagal efficiency? What if we had access to vagal efficiency measurements and we had access to self-reports, internal sensations, and we had behavior reports from their daily life, maybe they're keeping a log. What if we had observational data and self-report autonomic data? Yeah, tons of data and I don't think anyone's asking for that. But all of this actually really might help to build or paint a clearer picture of that person's algorithm and might actually help to inform more beneficial treatments. Is it necessary? No, I don't think so. And again, I don't think anyone's asking for that. I think it's kind of cool though. But that level of objectifying one's trauma recovery journey, nah, I don't know. It, it kind of, it does something to it that takes away some of the luster of the journey. But that might be what someone wants. Somebody might want that level of 
of data and that more medical model, or that's actually probably more of like a elite sport training model, I would think. I do think the journey aspect of this is much more important than the objective measurement nature of it. I, I know they can go hand in hand, that those can exist together, but it, I feel like it's generally possible to go too far in either direction, but I do think that a healthy balance can be struck, stricken, stroken. One final thought on the polyvagal theory as an algorithm. The algorithm always leads us toward safety, toward self-regulation, toward co-regulation, toward survival, toward homeostasis, toward optimizing our bodily resources. That is the goal of the algorithm, is to lead us in that direction. No matter what state you're in, it's always about survival. It's always about optimizing our resources. Yeah, trauma gets in the way, uh, so does society on numerous levels, government, religious, other institutions. Tons of stuff gets in the way. Fear gets in the way. Distractions get in the way. Behavioral adaptations get in the way. But for ourselves as organisms, as living things, that is always the, the goal of the algorithm is to optimize resources or ensure survival as, as best it can. Therefore, the goal is always eventually to get to safety and co-regulation, self-regulation. That algorithm, if you listen closely enough, you, you, you'll feel the pulls of the algorithm. You'll feel the pulls toward safety and toward connection. It is there. It's not always easy to identify. It's not always easy to feel and to tolerate, but they are there. It is possible, though, to listen and have more awareness and curiosity as to what pulls us what we feel, those safety tugs in the right direction. As you feel those, you can continue to follow those. That algorithm will take you in the right direction, I think. And it might just start with your environment and setting yourself up with some passive safety cues. Thanks so much for joining me on Stuck Not Broken. If you're ready to take the next step for you, I do have my Stuck Not Broken Total Access membership. Within the Total Access membership, you get all of my trauma recovery courses that are built on the polyvagal theory. You get my private community. You get to meet with me twice a month in virtual meetups, ask any questions you need to clarify what you need to clarify on your own personal trauma recovery journey. You won't be alone. The community is fantastic. You won't have to wonder. And I packaged every piece of self-regulation knowledge that I have into those three courses that you can use anytime you want at your own pace. So if you're ready to take those next steps in getting unstuck and you don't want to spend a ton of money, this is your invitation. This is your personal invitation to consider subscribing to Stuck Not Broken Total Access. Thanks so much for being a part of the podcast. I do look forward to the day where I get to greet you in the Total Access community. Thank you so much for listening, fellow Stuck Not. I do hope this episode has been a helpful resource for you in learning about and applying the polyvagal theory to your trauma recovery journey.